Let's take our Bibles. We're getting in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, last book of the Bible, eight chapters in, looking at verses 6 through 12 this morning. I invite you to turn there in your own Bible. If you don't have one, there's, uh, there's lots in the room. You can help yourself to one of those. Uh, before we read the Bible text, I do want to uh, just make one sort of pastoral announcement, and uh, this just regards uh, membership. If uh, uh, if you're a membership, hopefully you understand the value of that, the mutual accountability that happens in the context of being covenanted with one another in the mission that we have of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're not connected to the local church, you're not a member of a local church, if you're not identified with a local church, you may be attending here, but you're not known to us as a member. Um, I'll say this, and this might seem startling to you, but uh, the New Testament knows no category called Christian that wasn't attached to a local church. So I want to encourage you, give uh, serious consideration to joining the church if you make this your church home. And uh, if you are unfamiliar with what that means, we have a membership seminar beginning next week for three Sundays, and that will occur during the uh, Sunday school hour. Uh, so, if you have signed up, uh, there's room for more. Please take advantage of that. You can sign up through the church app. You can send an email to the office or me. Uh, you can call me. My cell phone is there in the, in the bulletin. Um, text me. Let me know. I'd love to see you in that class. If you've got questions, feel free to call and we'll chat about it. All right. Revelation chapter 8, verses 6 through 12. Let's give our attention to God's word being read. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining. And likewise, a third of the night. This is God's word. We definitely need some help from the Holy Spirit in this time, and I invite you to pray with me that we'd hear from the Lord. God, this is your word. It lies open before us, and uh, we need to hear from you. We do understand that it being living and active, it somehow activates on us, but that's very much dependent on your Holy Spirit. And so we're asking you, Father, cause your spirit to be free in this room and, and cause our eyes to be opened, our hearts to be opened, to receive what you have for us. Father, I'm asking that you would transcend the weakness of the proclaimer and bring about an understanding that, that comes from you so that we might be sanctified, so that we may understand you more clearly. God, so that the Lord Jesus himself would receive all of the glory. We're asking for that, Father. 
May it be so. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. If, uh, if your plane has arrived at the gate, so you're flying, and you will be eventually told that you can exit the plane when the doors are opened, that you can get your luggage when you exit the secure area, and you can find the shuttle when you exit the terminal. Now, I was thinking about this. If I was traveling with Kathy, and the cabin doors were, were opened, and I asked Kathy, shall we make our exodus? And she would say, well, that's just typical of you just finding a, 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 a fancy word for something that's so simple. It would certainly be accurate, but it would be an odd word choice. I think you'd agree. Now, if you've advanced beyond the fourth grade, you understand how different words are synonymous. Exodus simply means exit. Yet somehow in our usage of the word, there's, there's far more to it. It's a, it's a Exodus is far more grandiose than simply exit. Now, apart from the title of the second book of the Bible, the only place that the word exodus shows up in the whole of the Bible is actually Hebrews 11.22. Yet, as, we, as I'm already suggesting, that word is infused with, with so much more meaning than just describing the physical departure from one room to another or what you do when you get out of the car. And I think this is true. Even people who are not overly familiar with the Bible might, might think of you know, Cecil B. DeMille's classic film, The Ten Commandments, starring Charlton Heston. You might have seen that. And it's true that present-day Jews understand the Exodus to be the definitive event that established them as a nation, and it was. In fact, I would say this, that Exodus is one of the meta-narratives of the Bible an overarching theme that runs from the beginning to the end. Now, as we come to our text this morning, through John's vision, and we're, we're smack dab in the middle of this, or maybe towards the beginning of it, but there's lots to come. Um, the Holy Spirit is, is showing John that the Israelite experience in Egypt and their longing for a home, resulting in the Exodus, that's really a, prefiguring type, a, a real story that, that puts the focus on some greater reality in God's redemptive purposes. It's a prefiguring type. As God unleashed the judgments on Egypt through a, a series of plagues, he did that in order to facilitate the freeing of the Israelites, but also to bring down his judgment upon Pharaoh in Egypt. That's a prefiguring type for what we see here in Revelation is being opened up with these trumpets. God is likewise judging all those who reject his divine rule. Now, as we come to the, the specifics of the book of Revelation, it seems reasonable to me, if you've been following along and if you've read with us, that the seven seals, that's chapter 6, 8, uh, six um, chapter 6 through 8, 5, I think that's where we are. Yes, the seven seals. And then the seven trumpets, chapter 8, 6, through chapter 11, 19. It's quite a section. And then the seven bowls, we'll get to that later. That's chapter 16. I take it that these are somewhat parallel. That they, they're not first the seals, then the trumpets, then the bowls. I, I take it that they're, that they're all covering this interadvental period between the resurrection of Jesus and his second coming. 
Now these, these seals, trumpets, bowls, they have different beginning points, but they all end at the same place with that seventh, the, the seventh of the seals, the trumpets and the bowls. They come, culminate in, in the, the grand victory of the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment, but also in this glorious vindication of his own people. And that's you if you belong to him this morning. So just by way of review, the first four seals describe in general tribulation on the earth. Believers and unbelievers alike experience this. In chapter 6, you can look in your Bible, back at 6, chapter 6, 1 through 8. Sorry, that's 1 through 8. The fifth seal, then, is a cry of the martyrs for God's justice. So they're the souls pictured underneath the altar. They're crying out for justice, wondering, when is the Lord going to take exact as justice on, on those who dwell on the earth? That is to say, those who have rejected him. They're longing for God's name to be vindicated. They're longing for their own, the, their own blood that had been split, uh, shed it as martyrs to be, to be acknowledged. And in that seventh seal, then the cry of the martyrs is heard. And that ushers in this judgment in response to the prayers of the saints. Now, where we are in our text this morning, beginning with the trumpets, that's where we come to we are, where we are today. John is now being given another perspective. It, it's a deeper look into the way that God will judge. Now, with the trumpets, this is not general tribulation, but it's rather the demonstration of God's wrath, like the plagues on Egypt. It's a demonstration of God's wrath on those who have been not, sorry, those who have not been sealed for the day of salvation. Like the seals, the trumpets are presented in a kind of a 4-3 pattern. So that's why we're just dealing with the first four this morning. The first of these trumpets really deal with the natural world. It's God's judgment on the natural world. And then the next three, we'll get to that next week, they focus on the spiritual aspects. So like I said, today we're just going to focus on the first four trumpets and what they represent. But more importantly, what it all means for us today in the final exodus for the people of God. That's what I want to look at this morning. So we'll unpack it together. Uh, I won't give you my points in advance, but here's, here's the first one that I want to talk about from the text. And it's simply this. God has given fair warning. Now, we all get the purpose of road signs, okay? In fact, the, the, the recent, uh, probably in the last 10, 15 years, you see these pixel road signs, which give you up-to-date information. Traffic jam, accident, and they're there so that you can heed the warning. Like, take the next exit. If you're going through the mountains, you'll see ones that say falling rock. I mean, kind of have your head looking up, right? We, we heed the warning. The sign is there to tell us that there is danger, and you're wise. You're wise to heed the warning. Now, I said that Exodus is a meta-narrative of the whole Bible, John's vision unfolds this theme that has been repeated, really, since sin entered the world by man. A little history here. And, and what I'm talking about here is fair warning. God has given fair warning. Just, just a little history. God told Cain. He warned him. Cain was jealous of his brother Abel, right? You remember the story? Abel brought it sacrifice of an animal and Cain offered up some vegetables 
and his heart didn't seem to be in it. God warned him. He said to him, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it. What did Cain do? Did he heed the warning? Nope. He turned and he killed his brother and he was judged. Move forward in the story. We're still in Genesis. Noah, in the season, in that season, the Lord saw the wickedness of the earth, the wickedness of Noah's generation, and he had Noah build this ark. And what did Noah do that whole time? Well, the Bible tells us he was a herald of righteousness. He warned people, judgment is coming. They didn't listen. And what Noah saw was the aftermath of God's judgment. No, I, and again, it's not in the Bible text, but you can imagine as soon as the, the deeps opened up and the, and the rain started to pour in, probably banging on the side of the ark, let us in, let us in. But the Lord had shut him in. And there was utter devastation. I tried to look up how many, how many died. Millions? Some say billions of people perished. They didn't heed the warning. Another story as we move ahead in Genesis, Lot. Lot was warned. He was warned that destruction was coming to the city of Sodom. And he was told, get your family. And he went to his sons-in-law. They thought I was joking. Just a mockery. And what happened? Fire and brimstone rained down on the city. And the next day as he looked from his, his safe perch miles away, all he saw was the embers, the smoke had completely consumed the city that was once his home. And now we come to the Israelites in Egypt. And we know the story, if you've watched the movie, if you've read the Bible, right? Time and again, Moses conveyed to Pharaoh the word from the Lord, let my people go so that they may serve me. And each time, Pharaoh refused. And the Lord brought a plague and inflicted it on him. And each of those 10 plagues somehow address some aspect of Pharaoh's arrogance before God, culminating in the loss of the firstborn. And each time he might have feigned some sort of repentance, but each time his pride got the best of him and he, and in a tragic end to him and the nation, takes his army through the Red Sea and the Lord returns the waters over him and they all drown. Now, as we come to our Bible text, what we're dealing with this morning, these trumpets, I, I think they're very much a, a seen through the lens, really, of the Exodus. That first trumpet, and again, if, if the plagues on Pharaoh touched on some aspect of his arrogance and blasphemy towards the Lord, the trumpets are likewise touching on the arrogance and blasphemy of people who have rejected the Lord. The first trump trumpet, I would say, is simply a, a judgment on the food supply. You see this. Angel Blue's trumpet there filed, followed hail and fire, mixed with blood, thrown upon the earth. And the trees are burned up, the grass, uh, the grass is burned up. Third of, third of the earth was burned up. Third of the trees. And this is like the seventh plague that destroyed the crops it destroyed the livestock the, the seventh plague in egypt and that's exodus 9 and you see this this judgment language in in ezekiel again to make sense of the book of revelation we kind of got to look back into the old testament and see where all these things are ezekiel 5 3 and then verse 12 where god sends fire and we see that the result is is famine and pestilence really taking away the thing that that 
people think is their sustenance. All we have to do is grow crops and we will, be, we will survive. All we need to do is have, have, have livestock. We, we've got the technology. We can grow it. We, we can take care of things. We've got this. And what does God's word say? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You've got this kind of arrogance, people, in his judgment comes after that aspect of their, of their blasphemy. God's judgment is ultimately to remove the very benefit of the things that people depend on for life. Well, that second trumpet, I would say that this is simply a judgment on earthly kingdoms. And it's a strange imagery. Something like a great mountain burning with fires thrown into the sea. Now, what's that? Some people think literally maybe some kind of comet or, you know, asteroid or something. But I, but I take it it's very figurative language. And we see this theme in, in Zechariah's apocalyptic vision. You can look back at that in Zechariah 4.7. The fire there is God's judgment. Being thrown into the sea is, is, is its total disappearance. The effect is a third of the sea is turned to blood. That's just like the first plague in Exodus 7. A third of the living creatures die. A third of the ships destroyed. So, so I take it that the result here is famine. It's a disruption of commerce. It's a kingdom that is being brought down. You are so confident before God. You think you've got this together. And I was reminded, I was reminded of how, how governments around the world were so arrogant. <laughs> COVID, I know, we don't even like to hear it. We'll just, we'll flatten the curve. We've got this. We've got a vaccine. We'll, we'll take care of it. And they were powerless. Oh, if they just bowed the knee and say, God, be merciful to us. They did not. Well, the, the, the result here, famine, disruption of commerce. And, and all we have to do is look ahead at chapter 18, that this trumpet anticipates the judgment on evil Babylon, okay? So, so God's judgment is ultimately to bring down all kingdoms that ultimately exalt themselves. The third trumpet. I would say this a little bit different. It's a judgment on evil people. And here we have a star from heaven blazing like a torch. What's the star? Well, it alludes to, uh, I would say, in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, if you're familiar with that passage, the day star, son of dawn, thrown down to the earth for his arrogance. And what happens is uh, this, this star poisons the sea, wormwood, pollutes a third of the rivers and springs, bringing death. And I take it that this, this trumpet responds to the polluting ideologies, the polluting practices, the idolatry of people. Ultimately, they will die from the pollution of those ideas. And we can see those today. We can think of all kinds of, and again, I don't want to be always railing on this, but it's constantly in our face. The transgender things, the LGBTQ and the rest of the letters. And I understand that there are people who are so wrapped up in that sin that they have no clue. But there are those who are pushing these ideologies and you can see the trail of destruction that it leaves in people's lives. Oh, just... Change your gender. Everything will be great. It's not. It's not. 
it's effectively an ideology that, that if everybody were to embrace it, would be the total decimation of the human race. You think about it, it's, it's an impossibility. It's so contrary to design. Well, this trumpet responds to those polluting ideologies and practices. Ultimately, the destruction comes as a result of embracing the ideology. Now there's the fourth trumpet. Trumpet is a judgment of darkness. And this is reminiscent, really, of the, the exodus where there was the plague of darkness. Exodus 10, 21 through 29. And I take it that this darkness is not here, act, you know, physical darkness, but really metaphorical. And in much like many Old Testament references, I'll give you one example. Uh, for example, uh, Isaiah 13, 10. The judgment of Babylon. Here's, here's the wording. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heaven and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil. This metaphorical darkness, which I believe represents futility, despair. It represents hopelessness and terror. Four trumpets. And again, I, I take it that these are really reminiscent of the plagues in Egypt, where the plagues in Egypt were, were targeted to aspects of, of Egyptian and Pharaoh's pride. These trumpets are likewise targeted at the arrogance of people. Nations, ideologies. God rescued his own people and he judged Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And when God sent that final plague in Egypt, those who had the blood on the lintel and the doorpost, the Passover lamb, they were, they were sealed, they were protected, they were marked so that they would not die. And why did the Lord do this? Exodus eleven seven, and I think this applies as much today. It applies as much to these trumpets. Why did the Lord do this? That you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And so I would paraphrase that. Why these trumpets? That you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between his people and those who are not. These trumpet judgments destroy those who are evil. While the new Israel of God, this innumerable multitude whose robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, look back at chapter 7, these are the ones who are sealed for the day of salvation. So, so, so how did we get here? How does this all unfold? Why, why is this what we're being told? The Son of God entered the world. He was announced by John the Baptist. John, that, that voice crying in the wilderness saying this, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and Jesus himself as the kingdom's king proclaimed the very same message and some heeded that warning and believed. Many did not. Why? Because the way is broad that leads to destruction. That warning has been proclaimed now for 2,000 years. That warning is the gospel. The gospel which is the very power of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes. That's everyone, Romans 1, 16. God has revealed his glory in the heavens and he has revealed his salvation in his son. So the Bible tells us that everyone is without excuse, yet the warning remains and it remains largely unheeded. Cain, Noah's generation, the city of Solomon, Sodom, Pharaoh, their hearts were hardened. See, what I see in the trumpets is what, what the Apostle Paul kind of explains in a different way in, after that glorious thesis for the book of Romans in chapter 1, 7, 16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. But right after that, beginning in verse 18, he tells us this, and I'll, I'll, I'll edit parts of it out, but you'll get the sense of it. For the wrath of God is revealed. And again, I take it that this is the trumpets giving full effect to this thing that's going on in Romans 1, 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Skipping down. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval, approval to those who practice them. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is why the details in Revelation of these judgments? Why these particulars? And I've already suggested this, but it's because the nature of the rebellion determines, determines the form of the judgment. The nature of the rebellion determines the form of the judgment. And as it regards God's judgment on the world, I become more and more convinced that and while God has every right to judge in the way that he wants to, I just think in the context of Romans 1, 18 through 32, I become more convinced that God does not need to proactively send some kind of calamity on the earth to respond to sin. All he has to do is remove restraint. Sin is its own Judgment. And Romans 1 is a perfect example of God's judgment through him removing restraint and then giving up people to a debased mind. Human sin is what brings famine. Human arrogance is what brings disease oftentimes. And that was certainly true, I think, with COVID. It is human sin it causes polluted water, corrupt governments, destructive ideologies, despair, addiction, depression. It is all the result of human sin. The human race can blaspheme God only so long before he says, you think you can be in charge? Okay. Have at it. It's not like God has to invent ways to punish sin. If he just takes his hand off, we implode. 
And it is only by the grace of God that we haven't absolutely destroyed ourselves. It is his restraint. And while he restrains the full destructive effect of human evil, while he does that, while he restrains that, the gospel message is his warning. That's his warning. And brothers and sisters in Christ, you heard this morning, you've heeded that warning. You've been spared the destructive effect of sin, not only in its eternal consequence, condemnation, but in its present power to destroy your family, to wreck relationships. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. That's not only final salvation, but salvation right now, your sanctification for all who believe. But God has determined that this message, this warning will be heard, and then in his own timing, the end will come. Jesus himself said it in Matthew 24, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, God has given fair warning. And, and brothers and sisters, we are here this morning as a witness to that warning. Our message as ambassadors of Jesus' kingdom is be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to his commands. Well, second, God is glorified. God is glorified in this, in these trumpets. Now, to say that truth matters, okay, we, we often say that, but that's, that's a pretty pregnant statement. To say that truth matters, at least in my view, is to acknowledge that the entirety of creation rests on the revelation and acknowledgement of what is true. I know that's a broad, bold statement, but I, I really believe it to be true. That there's a, a branch of philosophy called epistemology. It's, it's a, a sub-branch that studies how, the, how you can know anything. And really, what we're talking about is how you can know what is true, what is right. This human, human endeavor to know, even if we end up in the wrong place, acknowledges the profound necessity of understanding what is true. I mean, that's the scientific effort, right? How do we know what we know? And we, what are we trying to discover, right? In the context of discussing what it meant to be one of Jesus' disciples, he said this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's John 8, 32. Now, I take it that this applies to all of Jesus' words. I take it that it applies to the, the entirety of Scripture. I take it that it applies to all that God has revealed. Knowing the truth sets you free. Lies must be exposed for the sake of the created order. And God will set the record straight. So what does that have to do with the trumpets? What they do is they reveal what is true. And what is true brings glory to God. Again, I'm thinking, why? Why is this here? God does everything for his own glory. And certainly in these trumpets and the judgments that follow, he is glorified. So let's talk about glory. What is, what is glory? The Hebrew word kavod, it means weight, importance, honor, dignity, 
reputation, splendor, all of this. God is about his own glory because truth matters. He is the most glorious being. Now recall from the first part of the chapter, at the opening of the seventh seal, there was, there was a silence for about a half an hour. And then I take it in this that there was this reverence and awe because the judgments of God are true and just. They're true and just. What does God want when he brings judgment? Well, I come back to the, to the Exodus plagues to, to understand in, in this context in the book of Revelation what's going on. The effect of what God did in Egypt is what he is doing here in these trumpets. See, what, is, what do we need to know? Well, what do people need to know? Unbelievers, first and foremost, need to know. Now, describing what's going on in Exodus. I'll take you back there, Exodus 14, 4. And I want you to listen to this. This is in relation to the Lord giving the plagues. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them, that is the Israelites. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And here's part of the glory. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. These trumpets in John's vision, they are so that unbelievers, those who have rejected Christ, will know I am the Lord. God is saying they'll know I am the Lord. They will know that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. They will know. And that really is what is behind why in Philippians chapter 2, every knee will bow. That's unbelievers and believers alike. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I can, I can imagine those who have rejected him and they get to that day of judgment in horror, they're going to be bowing the knee to Jesus as Lord, facing his judgment. But it is important for the glory of God that they know when they are cast into the eternal hellfire for having rejected Christ. There will be no mystery as to why they are there. Jesus is Lord. It is for unbelievers to know. Further, it's for all the world to know. Now that, that of course, includes unbelievers, but this is another way of putting it. The Apostle Paul, in reflecting on what Pharaoh did, and I take it that this is applying to the trumpets, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You see, in the trumpets, the name of God will ultimately be proclaimed in all the earth. But I think as it regards us today, if you're in Christ, it's for believers to know. The trumpets are for believers to know and for God to be glorified in that knowledge. Romans 9, 22 23, again, reflecting on Pharaoh. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath 
the ones upon whom the trumpet's judgments fall, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Now to what end? In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. You see, Christian brothers and sisters, when we see when we see the judgment of God, when that's laid out for us in Scripture, and if you are one who is in Christ this morning and you've already looked to the cross and you've already looked to Christ and you've seen that his sacrifice was for you, that his death was in your place, that the, the full wrath of God fell upon him, you've received God's mercy and then you see by comparison the judgment of God I don't know about you, but what that does, I'm amazed that I get to be saved. I'm in awe of God's mercy. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said this, it's not remarkable that God saves one person and not another. It's not an amazing thing. What's amazing is he saves anyone at all. We know if you're in Christ this morning, you know. You know the weight of your sin would have condemned you. But the glorious sacrifice of Jesus saved you. And that's the only thing. That's the only thing standing between judgment and joy. And thank God. Thank Him this morning that you're on the side of joy. Well, finally, I'm going to talk about God's people. You receive mercy, but it's my last heading, and there's three aspects of, of God's people that we can take away from this. Let me just start with this, this thought. I want you to picture with me a courtroom scene. There's, a, there's been a horrific murder. The, the guilty one has been now charged, and the, the jury has come back. Guilty is charged. And you know that what happens following that trial, there's always a sentencing, right? And there's always some not always, but often some representative of the family whose loved one was murdered, and they will make a statement before the court, maybe directly to the now convicted offender. Now, I get it, and I've seen this on the news. Uh, there, there's so much emotion in these moments, but there's something that sometimes gets expressed, which on the part of the one who's lost the loved one, they express back to the one who's now convicted the same kind of hatred and gloating and cursing that filled the heart of the murderer. It's a tragic scene. So consumed with rage, understandably, they are aggrieved. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, as, as those who are given this revelation of God's judgment, it is not for us to gloat. It's not for us to gloat. They're getting theirs. It is only the grace of God that sets us apart from those that will be judged. So I want some practical application here. So what might we take from this? John was given this. We see this back in Revelation chapter, three verse, chapter 1, verse 3. John was given this vision. He was told to write it down so that we might read it and be blessed. So what's, what's the blessing for us this morning? Well, first of all, we are warned 
We're warned not to go down that road. Now listen, it's getting more and more difficult today to live a life of faithfulness to the Lord. You know this. Constantly around us, we're, we're tempted to buy into lies, untruths. We're tempted to compromise for the sake of getting along. We think, well, we don't want to endanger our careers or we've got this fragile relationship with extended family. We don't want to mess with that. But brothers and sisters, when we see the judgment of God as believers, we must take the warning, don't go down that road. The Apostle Paul, using the Israelites and their disobedience in the wilderness as an example, told, told the Corinthians about them, and he said this, with most of them, that's the Israelites in the wilderness, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And here's what he says about that. They, they didn't enter the promised land. They fell. They died in the wilderness before possessing the land. Paul says, with most of them, God was not pleased. Now these things took place, he tells us, as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did so as we look at the judgments that are befalling the people who are rejecting the lord they serve for us as a warning don't go down that road don't embrace don't compromise don't trade away the truth of god to get along take the warning but in it, there's also encouragement. There's encouragement. I come back to what Peter said. It seems like it's a long time, and, and if you felt the difficulties, again, our lives are pretty good in this part of the country, I realize that. But if you've experienced the, the heartache from sin multiplied around you, its destructiveness on a family member, or just lamenting the things in the power structures around, or seeing the way in which as believers we're going to have less freedom, not more. We're going to be challenged more, not less. And we wonder, can we endure? Second Peter, this is for us to be encouraged. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but He's patient towards you and his patience towards you means his patience towards those he will yet save as well says this not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance but the day of the lord will come like a thief it will seem unexpected but god has been patient enduring the blasphemy of nations and people for generation upon generation while he sets apart a people for his own possession. He's opened our eyes to Jesus the Son and, and countless others like us whose robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb who will one day stand before the throne and give our worship to him. Be encouraged and know this for the people of God. Know that you are protected.
So there's the warning, don't go down that road. But if you truly belong to the Lord, you are protected. Again, 2 Peter, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. So you look around in the world and you see all of the evil and you see sometimes that you get sucked into it and you hate it. You confess it before the Lord and you think, how long? How long is this going to go on? The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. So take that encouragement and know that in Christ you are truly protected. His death on the cross for you was once and for all. And if you're a child of God today, you know that when you do stumble, and you will, you have a remedy before God. I quote this often, but it's so dear to me. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse from all unrighteousness. And he's just. He's righteous to do it. Why? Because he already crucified his son in your place. If you're in Christ this morning, you are protected forever. So take that as an encouragement. So, the world has been given fair warning. Between now and the time of Christ's return, we have the message of God's patience, which is the gospel. And so we'll pro continue to proclaim it from here, and I would encourage you to know it. When you're talking with people, know the gospel. And know that in judgment, God is ultimately glorified. He is glorified in showing you and me mercy through the cross. But God, and that's true. It, it shows the truth of what Jesus has accomplished for us. But, but from the understanding of the trumpets, God is also glorified in his justice because truth matters. He will set the record right. And every knee will bow and truly acknowledge knowing, not forced, they will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we look forward to that day. And as God's people, we look at the evil around us and we're warned, don't go there. But we can be encouraged because God is being patient with, with the world and he's going to save who he's going to save. But also know this, that you are protected because of what Christ accomplished. Well, let's, uh, let's pray in closing. It's, um, it's a holy and awesome thing, Father, to see what judgment looks, at, looks like. And, Father, we can, we can only say thank you that because we are in your Son, because he was judged on our behalf, we will not know that. We've not been destined for wrath, but for salvation. Father, would you uh, keep us faithful? Keep us faithful in this generation. And Father, as, a, as the reality of what the gospel does for people who believe, God, put it on our minds and our hearts 
Make us ever grateful, ready to, to share and answer anyone who asks the reason for the hope that we have, that Jesus Christ is our Savior. He died in our place and rose again that we might live with you forever. And Lord, while you were unfolding your plan for judgment, we know that that will not touch us because we've been sealed in your Son. And so we thank you for that. And we pray, Lord, just simply keep us faithful to the day of the Lord's appearing. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.